per pound and then your your uh, breadcrumbs and you mix it all up in a bowl you kind of form them as you want on it as you go so i could do them five at a time in a pan you know with hot oil and so i just scoop it out flatten it let them cook flip them let them cook and then easy done i mean it's a fairly simple it's again a little time consuming but i enjoy it Oh, hey, welcome to welcome the, to the Dresden Files cooking podcast. <laughs> that you got half the recipe for Latka. You got to tune in for next week's episode or in two weeks from now to get the first half. Yeah. And if you were here earlier, you would have gotten meatballs. But um, also, we weren't live. So, no, actually, you wouldn't have. Right. That, that's the joy of while we weren't recording, sort of. Yeah, there you go. Of... We'll start next week and we'll talk about them again. Oh, by the way, what was your meatball recipe? Nah, nah, you got... next, next week I'm excited for because next week is Gideon and that's that's so much fun. Yeah, I'm, uh... Andreas was uh, pussyfooting around of reading a book that I think he should read and so we're making it on the schedule for while we weren't recording. He was going to read Gideon the Ninth. We're going to talk about it next week. And uh, I'm ex- I love that book, so it's it's exciting for that. But today we're trying to continue with the law. <laughs> we are halfway through this novella, and this is part three. We are starting on chapter nine. We're gonna do it. Yeah, let's. Uh, yeah, we can we can try this. Justin isn't here to bog us down, right? Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> oh, time check. Okay, we're omitted. <laughs> I know what I said. A bad word. <laughs> I know what I did. I think I said worse when I said pussyfooting, but okay. Yeah, right. Um, YouTube's not going to be able to differentiate between that and the other one. Right. Um, So chapter nine, Harry has had a clue and decided to go to jail to talk to the cellmate of Trip Gregory. Mm -hmm. Juan Julio Jefferson goes by Triple J, and he has a lot of teardrops tattooed on his face to the point it looks like he is sobbing. Is that still something that, that people do? Because I thought that was kind of outdated. It is in fiction when you're writing in Colorado, I guess. <laughs> About something that happens in Chicago. Okay. Yeah. All right. Then, it's from the uh, It's fine. <laughs> so they sit down and uh, cellmate says, so you're the wizard guy. Yes, I'm the wizard guy. Should I make a Harry Potter choke? Go right ahead. And he says, your scars are all wrong. Where's your glasses? Guess you really like holding your wand. Very, like, low tier, but might as well get them in there. Yeah. He wants to go by Triple J. So a carton of cigarettes. It's been recognized, the whole Harry Potter thing, by the way, in, in writing. I don't think so. I think there was another reference to something about Harry Potter jokes, but I don't remember. Well, in the, in the other short story was... Was a day off when he when the kids came and one of them was wearing a dark mark tattoo and he mentioned the Death Eaters a few times. Uh, okay. probably, that sounds like I know it's come up before. I just don't remember if that's the only one or if it actually. I think it came up in the mainline books once, but I don't. I, don't. I think someone just made a like, where's your glasses type of level of joke to Harry at some point. I, I mm-hmm. can't remember who. Harry is going to be paying a carton of cigarettes to Triple J if he answers two questions. A couple of questions, at least. Well, two cartons. Okay. Actually, how expensive are cartons of cigarettes anymore? Because didn't they, like, get ridiculously expensive nowadays? I don't know. I don't pay attention. I mean, I'm sure it depends on where you buy them. And some place like Chicago is probably more expensive than if you bought a carton from, like, fucking Nebraska. Uh, But since he's not in Nebraska. Yeah, it's like, you might be paying, like, 
somewhere between twenty to fifty dollars each carton, depending on how much they're adding on top of in Chicago inside the jail. But okay, he's gonna go get it, and that's kind of cheap to be getting information that he probably isn't gonna be able to get anywhere else. Okay, Harry doesn't need to know anything about the Chicago outfit. He just needs to know some background about Trip Gregory and Triple J. Is like, oh, that asshole, and anyone who hates Gregory is a friend of Harry's. He's very easy like that. Yeah. It, you hate this guy that. too, man. Let's go get a beer and croissant duck crust pizza. Did it, oh, damn. Justin said he was going to try that recipe and he didn't report back. I wanted to know if that's actually going to be worth it. It um, wasn't. Probably not. Let's see. So tell me about Trip. And Trip says, well, you met him? Then you know who he is already. He is very, like, he is that dumb. He is that much of an asshole. Uh, let's see. He is a slimy little pimp, self-important ass, but he ain't soft. Bitched a lot about not having women. Lots of wheeling and dealing, but not smart. En smart enough to pay it straight, but too dumb to make much of it. So he was just waiting out his time. He's trying to make some money inside. Always talking about a big score when he gets out. But the, he had gotten busted in the first place for branching out too far. And this is when Harry learns that, yes, it was on drug charges, but it was because his suppliers were for the guys from St. Louis, which were not going to be as amenable as Marcone. He recruited some DEA bitch to work for him and got caught. Oops. I just hate it when that happens. Yeah. So Marcone had been uh, paid his due when Gregory was going to jail, but the St. Louis outfit didn't. And so as soon as he gets out, they're going to come after him. And that's why he needs a lot of money very fast. And you kept talking about uh, the amount of money that was going to be owed to him, like a hundred grand. And then he put it out on paper, uh, the, the math of like how much it was going to work and how he's going to pay it back, and everything was going to be just fine as soon as he gets out. He's huffing some grade A copium. Yes. I was going to say, the fact that he also thinks that this was going to be a quick turnaround somehow is just astounding. Yeah. All right. And Triple J says something. You ever tried to get a weasel off of a chicken? Uh, they ain't big, but they don't give up easy, so it's not going to go away quickly. If it had gone away quickly, Harry would have just been able to intimidate Gregory of like, I am big and tall and I can do a laser ball of fire to melt your face. And that didn't work at all. So. All right. But chapter 10, Harry goes back to the castle and he talks to Castle Bob. And they have a reference to Rocky, right? That's Adrian when Stallone is being Adrian. I haven't mm -hmm. seen these movies. Okay. <laughs> What a shock. Although, to be fair, I'm actually with you on this. I've never seen the original Rocky movies. I just kind of know of them of the in the general sphere of people make these references. Yes, Adrian, I did it, whatever. Okay, so what about <laughs> Talvi and Verno? All right, there's good news and terrible news, Bob says. Okay, believe it or not, there aren't a lot of nameless things running around interacting with society because almost everything has a name. If you are in folklore, if you're talking to somebody, you will get a name. 
Individual identity is something common practically to everyone. But outside of a hive mind or a herd intelligence's individuality is how things are arranged. So that requires individual designations. And it's just kind of hell on a PR for this guy to try to be functioning. So being a nameless guy, what kind of advantages does it give this Talbian Reno pseudonym person? We can't use his proper name against him because he doesn't have one in the magical setting. He's magical Jason Bourne because more references to movies help. Well, you've seen that one at least, haven't you? I have seen that one. I have seen this. Excellent. So we're getting closer. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit closer to my timeline. Like the Rocky is a bit before me. All right, then Bob asked questions about, tell me about this hot assistant again. Miss Lapland, major creepy way, but also major sexual whammy going on. Not quite Lara Wraith bad, but bad enough. Some form of sexual thing going on. Harry is very great with words. The arrogance seemed to get her going in a potentially violent killer way, but at the same time, completely subservient to Talvi. Given her name and the alias, Paranoid Gary and Bob, so Bob is actually giving credit to someone else. Mm-hmm. And then the Skull somehow gives an impression of a scowl and says he has to admit, the kid's skull would make a fine backup if you ever decide to make me a new apartment. He's weird, but his mind is well organized. And he's a native of the internet. Paranoid Gary and I think you're dealing with a deity or at least a demigod. Jesus. No, no, no. This guy's Finnish, not Jewish. <laughs> but right. So, Finnish. You know the goddess Lovi Artarm? Lovi Artarm? Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go with that. Um, <laughs> and, and Harry does know some amount of it because it's the Maiden of Pain in the old school Dungeons and Dragons. This is probably Ooh. how. I think Jim pulls a lot of like, what was this thing that I heard about all the time in D and D? Like they mentioned Tiamat having been in D and D. May I be Tengu? So ascension to immortality and deific levels of power, apotheosis was the thing that is what Laviatarm apparently done. And she had a bunch of offspring. Nine of them were called the Nine Diseases, and she set them up against the Finnish wizard hero. Vainamoinen? I don't know. That sounds Nordic-ish. You wouldn't know. If there's anyone that is Finnish and would like to correct me on my pronunciation, I would love to know the, the proper way of saying they that. Andreas, please do it. That they, they speak very differently than the rest of us. <laughs> the rest of us. Like Norway, Sweden, Denmark, like, and then Finland's the next of us here. But us three, we sound similar-ish, but Finnish is very different. Mm. When I have seen this name before, it usually had like umlauts and dots on top of it, and that is missing at the moment. So I have literally no idea how to correctly pronounce this. Okay. Anyway. They didn't do so good, they, and they got whacked. She had a tenth son who she cast out because he was too much trouble. She didn't give him a name, and that would have given him even more power. So it was a deliberate taking away of something that he deserved, generally, as a birthright. He had a lot of magic and was cast out into the world to cause strife and division. It's his raison d'etre. No, I'm not going to pronounce that correctly either, but fuck the French. Well, you did better on that one than you did the finish. 
I have heard that one before, so it's like, mm, but I just don't care as much. Right. He wound up working for Kembler and helped kick off a couple of the world wars. And Mab paperclipped him afterwards. And even I knew this and Bob didn't of what Operation Paperclip was. The U.S. Mm. government snatching up German rocket scientists and researchers after the war and ushering in the space age. And so Mab conveniently after World War II of like, you're scary. How about you work on my side? And now he's Talby and Verno. Winter, winter. <laughs> and I won't kill you. Right. Mads kept him stationed in the mortal world, familiar with their power structures. So presumably she can use him to cause strife and division. And also, since the timing of when he was showing up in Chicago was around when Baron Marcone became Baron of Chicago, it's probably to keep an eye out, invest in the structure there, understand the weaknesses, and being able to exploit it if she ever needs it. Hmm. Can't She's very good at those insurance policies. Yeah, well, nothing really ever happens in Chicago, so it's probably a wasted oh. time. Yeah, not like Utah. Fuck that place. <laughs> All right. So why was Lapland a tip-off? Well, because he's a Finnish wizard shaman, and back in the day, they mostly signed on to the White Council. Before they signed on to the council, their mojo was kind of based on boasting. The idea of, like, I've done all of these things, and you can't prove it otherwise, and that's how masculine and wonderful and awesome I am. It is something that happened quite often. Right. It was It's specifically, it's weird right now that Harry is asking, what do you mean boasting? Because he doesn't get it, and Bob says, like, you've never done that before a fight, which he did in Battlegrounds to the jo uh, Jotun, and that's a, he expected it to be a delay tactic, but that was the proper moment to do it. And the guy just said, I fought the Odin Sun and survived. It's supposed to have taken a lot longer. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, he's not, he's, he's, he does, he's not the first time he's done it either there. He, he does it quite a bit, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's part well, yeah, of I mean, naming schemes. Well, he does it against Demon Reach. Like, he plays himself up a little. Um, uh, it, yeah, it, it's it's not it's not out. It's his trash talk. It's nothing, you know. It's just he's less refined about it. Yeah, more often than not. But so it's like selective stupidity to have not realized what he was doing in this exact moment because it needs to be expositioned by Bob, I guess. I mean, it, it could be expositioned by his own. He's the narrator. He's thinking in his head. He does that plenty, so I don't know. I agree. <laughs> um, all right, so Lapland was the enemies of the Finn's wizard shamans. Try again. Vitamonian? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think somehow that got worse. <laughs> Probably. All right, so they're not like... Uh, mortal women, but they're witches, like the, the hags, the scions, the, the, they were breeding amongst the human population and they hated the Finns pathologically and would go out of their way to do horrible things to them. And so she's likely a hag and it wasn't her normal form that Harry was seeing. Just like Andreas, a hag that hates the Finns with unyielding passion. I don't hate the Finns. Mm -hmm. Only the sweets. 
Typical Norwegian attitude. Everybody in the North, really. You can't really get that wrong. Good for me. I rarely get anything wrong. Up to and including your various nationalities. All right, so Bob guesses that Lapland was a witch that lost her bid to sex and slave a demigod-level sorcerer and got her own spell turned back on her. Now she is his slave and probably a pretty damn tough practitioner herself, resents everything in general, resents men in particular, hates Talby even more than that, and everyone who reminds her of him. God, she's a feminist. I'm not touching that one. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need to. Oh, the Alex is not here anymore. <laughs> Ooh. Oh boy. Okay. So how, how did Lapland and Inverno become working for Marcone? It's like, well, if they were with Map and then they're at Arctis Tor, and she doesn't trust anybody, why would she be trusting Marcone? And the guy's a demigod of strife and division. And so maybe she also just didn't want him in Arctis Tor after she had been hit there and proven guilty. So get him out of into Chicago and lessen the damage to herself, a chance. And maybe hmm. fuck it up a bit for Marcone on general principle. Exactly. Well, you know. yeah. it seems to have helped him quite a bit to have this guy on his uh, his payroll of sorts. So how tough is the Nameless Son likely to be? Well, not Titan tough, but he is not a problem that you can solve by punching, even though Harry's tried like four times by now. He tries to punch everyone in this and it never works. Even though he then says it like, it's not going to fix all your problems, you have to be clever about it, and he still tries. <laughs> At the end, he just gets Mab to punch them. So it's, it's <laughs> that is true. That does really... help. <laughs> Mab is the real heavy hitter, and he knows when to call her in. So if he was so tough, how come Mab didn't have him in the ring when the Titan did attack? It's like, what, you guys didn't have enough strife and division already? That If that's his purpose, that's what he's going to do. He's, he's dangerous to have around, even though you want him on your side and not pointed at you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Imagine him as an amplifier to what uh, Ethnia was already doing, the fear in the city and everything. That was Mab. Oh, Mab was doing it too, I guess, both of them. Mm-hmm. So, what are the Nameless Son's weaknesses? He might not have any. Or his own weakness is the same thing that Harry's is, which is living under Mab's aegis. Mab can order him to do whatever she wants, but she's going to be stuck on her own. Why should she bother to help someone who should be able to help themselves? Without Mab's aegis, he'll have trouble, and he would like to continue to breathe, so he's going to try to keep Mab happy. And... Bob suggests that Harry drop this case and go away and do something safer. It's like, whenever you're getting into some deep water with some pretty big fish, you're not even going to get a paycheck out of this one because you're just trying to do it out of helping the poor woman. Mm. It's not about consequences, Bob. It's about principles. First teachers, then principles. Dumb joke, but I enjoyed it. All right, but Harry has to, to reaffirm why he cares about Maya and the tutoring and the kids. And like, he, he can't just drop it, even though that would probably be the smart thing to do. 
Definitely so a if, smart thing to do. That's why he doesn't do it. Yeah. Let's see. But if I don't do anything, she definitely loses, and so I have to try. Even if it means you have to go tell Mab about your quest for the windmill there, Don Quixote, at least I get the reference even though I never read the book. should have like a, a ticking as to what references you do and don't get in the corner. I'm sure someone like Cody probably knows and has cataloged and can throw it back in my face on Discord. <laughs> well, if he doesn't, he will have it for the future. Now. <laughs> he will now. <laughs> Okay, so what did uh, Gary do? And Bob shows some text messages up on the wall like a projector. Let's see, one more thing Gary Boss needs uh, to know how to contact that one lawyer that actually beat Talby Inferno in court. Signed, Bob. You do not need to sign text messages. I know exactly who they're from. But we get the name Maximilian Valerius Esquire. What a corny name. I wonder if it's his real name. But I, I don't know. Like those names are basically straight out of Codex Alera. Maybe he's making his own internal reference. But none of you would know because you never read the book. And I'm okay with that. And Bob says, I thought you couldn't afford a powerful lawyer. You can't afford a pricey one. Often the same thing, not exactly. But if this guy whipped the nameless son in open battle of court, maybe he'd be willing to do it again on the cheap. And chapter 11, they go to Maximilian Valerius' home and find basically a farm in the middle of the city, residential neighborhood, but there's a large oak tree, there's a white picket fence and a whole bunch of chickens and a beware of dog sign. I mean, it's a Southern gentleman just living in residential Chicago, basically, right? Yeah, it's Foghorn Leghorn. So it is. Yeah. What was the name of that bird lawyer in Futurama? Because that's who I basically pictured. Yes, he's the space chicken. I don't remember the name, but there's a Woodburn sign that says, No solicitors or proselytizers welcome. Business clients and known personal friends only. Everyone else is trespassing. Please leave packages on the box inside the gate. Mind the chickens, beware of dog. This sign does not constitute an invitation of any kind. Which is overkill to most people, but probably not overkill if you're also trying to keep away Faye. So he's kind of in the know. And the dog to be aware of is a rather cute lump of like just wanting to sleep and cuddle. And there's a, a woman's voice that comes inside and says, Max, there's a weirdo at the gate. Happily named. And Imagine Max, if he had a hat. <laughs> Yeah, even more of a weirdo. My lady. <laughs> he would, too. <laughs> yes, he would. Unironically, and that would be the worst part. Doing it ironically does save you a little bit up until the point that you're doing it ironically so often it's no longer ironic and it's just part of your own behavior. Sure. Oh. Max sticks his head outside and says, I think I know who you are. And the woman's offering to call the police. Don't call your mother, though. All right. And how I took the description of Max is basically Ebenezer's younger brother that went to law school. It's like he's, mm. he can't be as old as Ebenezer, but it feels like they would fit in together at the same family party. I mean, five foot five, well, he's built like a, a long distance runner, 
uh, brown linen pants, sandals, gray hair stuck out everywhere. Just they feel like the same kind of type. Right. And Max does genuinely recognize Harry and names him as You Must Be Harry Dresden. And not interested, supernatural business is supernatural business and I don't mix with it because he's smart. Unlike Harry, he knows how to stay out of it. Yeah. He wants to stay out of the wizard. blast radius. Well, apparently he did if his farm is still intact in the middle of Chicago. Mm -hmm. Very, very good point. But Harry needs his help. I've got a client who's about to be ruined by Talby and Verno. And that is the thing, apparently, to get his uh, attention because he is just as much of a white knight as Harry. And then there's a, an argument between Max and Eloise of, like, I picked the clients, but what happened last time? And get the money first. And does he like grape Kool-Aid? Which should have immediately been a red flag. And he should have turned around and gone somewhere else. I don't remember the last time I had Kool-Aid, but I don't think I ever went for grape. Nobody ever went for grape. Unlike maybe grape a flavored grape flavored any drink is just about the worst. Grape yeah, soda. That was the thing about Fanta. Grape, grape Fanta actually was kind of tasty. It was the only thing of grape flavored I liked. No, no, it was no. But we've established that you liking Fanta is enough of an issue and a character flaw. So, I mean, Fanta Exotic is like the like great in the summer. <sighs> no. But even if it was, that has no bearing on the fact that grape Kool-Aid is revolting. Randall, get some help. <laughs> Apparently. Listen, it's, that explains a great deal of your behavior, and I'm disappointed in you. But mind the chickens, and Harry uh, gets to go back to his office and explain a little bit. Go follow the footpath around to the door and be in a moment. All right. Another Woodburn sign that says Maximilian Valerius, Esquire, Attorney at Law, Solicitors of Proselytizers, are now subject to civil suit. Huzzah. Yeah. Dog's name is Peppermint, and Pepper is just kind of goes through, lays on a bed, and whines. All right. I hear your coat is bulletproof. You won't need it here, and it's a hot evening. So take it off as a way of disarming yourself if you're going to be in the office. And he trusted him. And so Harry took it off, and he drank Kool-Aid. With great Matt relish. He really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Max knows quite a lot, knows a lot about Dresden, and he says... We've lived here a long time, and I have eyes and a brain. It's smart to know the player so you can stay out of their way, especially lately. Harry has a clue. It says, do you know an EMT named Lamar? Yes. Uh, African marriage man, late 40s, plays an excellent game of chess, and we have similar attitudes towards your work. Go away. <laughs> and yet, Max had whipped Alvin Verno in open court. And... Max kind of disregards this. It, it wasn't that. The client was wrong. Law was on our side. Merely proved it to satisfaction of a judge. But no one else had ever been able to do it. So it's a near supernatural ability to do so. So now, what does Chicago's resident wizard want with a simple, old, retired law professor? And in coming the story about Maya and Sunflower and the tutoring and all that. 
So Gregory is desperate and a little too thick to see that he's trying to squeeze blood from a stone and Harry just wants to help them. Okay, Max admits these are good things. So why are you there? Like, I can't get Gregory to back off and you're the only one in town who's beaten Inverno in court. So can he please do so again? <laughs> and Eloise says, Max, get the money up front. Ah, yes, the money that Eloise handles that Max is then going to sabotage. Because you're about to tell me that you have power and not money. And Harry's like, yeah, well, I don't have cash, right? And, and he just says, Christ, save me from good fights. He is smart, but he's disregarding his own wisdom at this point. It's like, I can pay you a little, and they can probably pay, scrape something together from Sunflower. Um, and then Max says, pay me instead of you spending your money helping refugees whose homes were destroyed and children whose parents can't afford supplemental education in that castle of yours. Because Max actually really does know who Harry is. I'm not sure being owed a favor by you is any safer than being in an inflammable building with you. True. He's probably read these books. It's like supernatural. He read the. He read think... these... <laughs> <laughs> He read the sacred texts. Okay. Have you been out on the street very much lately? Max asked. Well, Lamar has. And so have several very good officers. Folk of your persuasion, well, let's say they aren't in good odor since the terrorist attack that they're smart enough to see through. It's going to get ugly for your people and it could get ugly for everyone close to them. And he doesn't want to be one close in the black radius. And what will take him back by the presumption that they were ever in a good odor, but good point. The kind of <laughs> those are the kind of people oh. that you basically want nothing to do with and or regard with suspicion at best. I, I like the people who were part of Harry's army. Like, some of them at least run around with a little bean like thing now to identify each other. I thought that mm -hmm. was pretty cool. It's a charm of protection and plot armor. Well, it's the favorite thing, right? They each, he each, he will come to them if they call to, you know, it's kind of like the, um, the hell was it called the silver oak thing that he got from summer mm. and morgan got order you know similar you get you get like a little favor from harry too that you can call upon him all right and so it is smart for them to keep it around and on them all the times just in case they happen to be in that moment um but otherwise if they don't need it it's still probably going to have a sense of protection just for knowing just that it's there mm -hmm. all right so they start working on details and chapter 12, next evening, they go to the Nameless Son's law office with Maya and Max. And Trip Gregory must already be there because Lapland is already pissed off. I don't think that's a good indicator at all. I mean, He's never I guess not pissed off. More nuclear levels of pissed off? Yeah, still. Right. They are waiting, as she confirms, in the meeting room. Um... Max was dressed in a linen suit and a number of shades of beige with some light brown oxfords. Maya looks good in a blue dress. And Harry is wearing a t-shirt with a Death Star on it made out of Star Wars word cloud. As you do. Yeah. And the leather duster. And if he had the hat, he would have been wearing it. But he doesn't. So he doesn't. And along with all of his other items, he is basically ready for starting a war in the office. And everyone who has a clue can see that you they know he'd walked in arm for bear is that a joke 
Oh my God, I just read that. It's like, because of the bear? Maybe. You never know. <laughs> I mean, he did He did do conjuritis just to freaking deliver on that, that, that punchline. Yeah, on, on the anvils. And then, like, yeah, it's the next paragraph of on the bookshelf, it has an occasional oddity, like a stand holding a cruel looking curved dagger, the white skull of an enormous bear, what looked like a walrus tusk carved with a heavy scrimshaw of a Viking warrior fighting scene of some kind of serpent. Right, so right in the middle of a list of three, it's the don't pay attention to this of a white skull of enormous bear. Yeah, he probably knew what he was doing. A little check off scum. Yeah, it's, like, it's something that I keep being told is like, if you're trying to hide something for to a reader, Put it in the middle because everyone's going to pay attention to the first and the last. So now, whenever I'm reading a list, I'm paying attention to the middle more than anything else. Gosh darn it, you, you've had them all figured you've out. You've cracked the code. <laughs> so now we're going to have to expand to like an even number. Do six mm. things and then you're going to have to figure out which one because there is no middle. I'm not going to pay attention to the, the, the first or the six, but like two through four, my attention. Oh. Okay. So correct it, EG. You're going to have to go back on the workshop. On... No, no, because I just read it so that there was a seventh one that she didn't see behind them. <laughs> yes, not having it in the list would stop me from being able to see it in well, the list. Well, whatever it takes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, who the hell is that guy? Trip Gregory asks, and uh, Talvi has to explain that this is someone who's formidable of lawyery type. This I've is the over... side character in a long time. Yes. All right. Max says he's looked over the contract in question and says, you have a case, but not an unbeatable one. Okay. Right. And they will have experts lined up to establish damages who will convey otherwise on the bad guy's side. And they start arguing about like judges and experts in particulars. Right. I think the question is whether or not your client can afford the depositions and fees for experts of your own to counterbalance Trip Gregory. You know, thinking about it and knowing how much these experts, how, how expensive lawsuits are, even if he's getting the lawyer for free for, by Marcone, right? And if we assume Marcone is covering the fee for all the experts and stuff, wouldn't it have been easy to just go to Marcone and be like, I owe some money? <laughs> right. Probably. Can I borrow some and work it off? So yeah, I mean, especially if you think, well, yeah, but that's the thing. And so you think the the St. Louis guys are going to kill you over this, whereas Marcone views you in a favorable light because of your loyalty and mm -hmm. is probably willing to let you work off your debt because you've already, one, worked for him, and two, proven your loyalty. So That probably would have been smarter, but as we have established, he's not smart. Well, it's, it's actually kind of surprising nobody else mentioned that to him. Like, even Marcone, when he comes into the conversation, should have been like, why didn't you just ask me? Yeah. Yeah, it would have been more efficient, quicker, and uh, yeah, definitely it was the smarter thing to do. It was a lawsuit. Like, uh... Well, yeah, I mean, especially, so once you figure, so once, especially once Harry gets dragged into this, that should immediately, Marcone should have been like, so is there another way around this that but Marcone doesn't can't involve ever give the in to Harry? Like once Harry isn't involved, it says, no, I must do the opposite to spite you at least a little bit. Yeah, to a degree. 
but uh, he he's unlike Harry. He's able to see both self-preservation and the smart move. And the smart move would have been, okay, we can make this go away, and I can still be loyal to my vassal, quote unquote. I'll give him the money. And Harry can fuck off. But then we wouldn't have a story. Exactly. If if everyone were smart, we wouldn't have a story. Well, I mean, it, it's a little. When when Trip isn't smart, it's fine. When the other son, when Harry isn't smart, it's fine. When Marcone isn't smart, it's a little like, eh, yeah, that's a little, that's a little off brand for him, right? Like, right. But, I mean, I can also understand like Marcone of like leaving Gregory to just to do what he thinks he should be doing. But granted, I don't know the the amount of time and the money wasted is just kind of like maybe he should have corralled. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if he yeah, <laughs> if there's anything he dislikes as much as he values loyalty it would be inefficiency as he i believe mentions <laughs> in the conversation with harry so but here we are all right so uh what your client should be worried about in addition to the expenses of the trial is how her own customer base will react when the nature of her past professional life comes out in court, because all nasty details are probably going to be dragged out in there and how she knows Gregory and blah, blah, blah. And as Maya uh, is thinking about this, Gregory's like, yeah, court is a terrible place for that kind of thing to happen and basically overtly threatening her. And so Harry overtly threatens back of, I'm fantasizing about punching you in the face. And while there's like, you're not going to touch my client Dresden, I think you can imagine the sort of fallout if you cross that line. And yes, you can. But hold on a moment. And Maya says, go ahead, drag all the dirty things out in court. I made the choices I made. I'll live with the consequences. Even if she has to stop working at Sunflower, the other people will still be able to do it. And Inverno is like, but how are you going to pay for anything? How are you going to pay for the lawyer and the experts? And like, and Max is, uh, always saying that's not your concern don't worry about it that's not what we're discussing it's very true and trip says you can buy me out of the business if you want i'll take half a million which is twice what he's already pushing for and twice as much profit as they made in seven years if he they don't have the 250,000 then why would they have 500,000 he's really really not smart well, to him, to him, it's because you know he's he's a crook. He's crooked. What they officially made here, there's been skim. There's been oh yeah, no. etc. Cetera, et cetera. She has a lot of money stashed away. Oh yeah, she's money. got it. She, she was away the profit, and she skimmed. Besides that, right? Yeah, because she was a whore, so she's a bad person like him. Yeah. So she's got money somewhere. And you bring in that uh, accent that's very accurate to Gregory. Well mm -hmm. done. All right. So trying to reason with Gregory does not go well. And he says, that's my fucking price, you little whore, like you were saying. And Dresden has to do the, the white knighting thing. And he rises out of the chair and he says, please advise your client that if he continues such insults against Maya, I'm going to consider them fighting words. I'm going to hit him in his big fat mouth. And Chip is, what the fuck does that mean? But Inverno gets it of if this is now crossing the line, if he doesn't contain himself, it's going to be a, a res he can then respond to it without causing an incident. 
If you insult the lady like that again, he'll consider doing so viable grounds for a physical attack and will presumably follow. And even though in maybe Chicago law, it might be something to deal with in the supernatural law that everyone really cares about more, that's not going to be an issue. Everybody but Trip, anyway. Yes, we don't care about him. We just want him to suffer. All right. Given how you present yourself, I'd say he has a better than average chance of getting away with it even into the Chicago court. You should moderate your tone where the young lady is involved because even Inverno hates Gregory and now Inverno is on our side and that's an awkward feeling. Hmm. And he has the power to strike you if you continue in the vein you have been, as Tripp says, I have the right to speak and Inverno says, which admittedly is an egregious vein. Trip looked like he didn't understand the word egregious, and maybe that's what made him subside. Or Bane, probably. At least in the context. I'm like, okay, fine, we'll just pretend she's a square and not a what she is. Okay. Just let it go, my guy. Like, you can't have the last word here. If he was smart, he wouldn't be in this position. So Max has offered a counter of $10,000 payment in, to settle instead of the 250000 because that's what they can potentially pay and live and let live. Right. 10000 But he knows he made more, she made more than that. And so that's not fair. But the money is gone. He doesn't get the idea of a subsistence business model. And then uh, Miss Lafland comes in with a cup of coffee and a look of disgust on her face and gave both of them to trip. And he leers at her, pats her utterly inappropriately and says, thanks baby. And the look she could, gave him could have peeled paint and made her glares at me seem friendly by comparison. And then she looks at that giant bear skull on the bookshelf and walks out. All right. Max says they can go as high as 14,000 because that's all the money that the client has. And again, trip is refusing. And so they work out, they decide that they're going to just face it in court, work it out there. And so they leave. It's hard to see a world where Trip Gregory isn't a complete oxygen sink and he's vile. And so they just kind of like having this moment of everything is looking so bad, but we'll deal with it and hope is at the end. The law isn't really as black as white as everyone thinks. Everyone seems to think that of the law as a line drawn in the ground, but it's more like a surveyor's string, one with quite a bit of play in it, so you can argue back and forth. And now Max is the good guy arguing on our side. All right. You don't have to choose right now, Max says to Maya, but you do need to commit to a choice. Either fight him or fold your business and leave him with nothing to be able to sue, because if they shut it down, there's nowhere it can go. There's too many people who rely on Sunflower. And Harry, for some reason, decides one more time to talk to Trip Gregory to make him stop. Also, this would be another smart decision, would be just to fold the business and then like essentially do it again, but with somebody else, I guess, in charge. Yeah, I, that is kind of a good point. Isn't that happen like all the time? 
businesses. Yeah, companies fold, they change, they do whatever. I mean, all you have to, okay, so you fold the business, he's got nothing. You wait a month, somebody else starts it up. Maya is maybe an employee, but she doesn't own it, so she's not. And that's that. Is it also like kind of like a franchise, like all these people who have their own sunflowers under hers or something? Yeah. Yeah, so he's trying to get the 250000 out of all of them, I think. And she said there's like 39 locations. So even if hers have to fold, like if she can't continue because no one wants to work with her, the other ones should be able to keep going. But yeah, the connections between them, like if they would have to fold all of them or just rebrand them or something. Well, it's, she seems to even say herself, even if they go on without me. So it's like, okay, well, there's your other option. Just, <laughs> sorry, I know it's important to you, but <laughs> if it's going to bankrupt all these other kids, maybe just quit. Yeah, she's the one who signed the contract with Gregory at the, the building location, whatnot, but the others didn't. So then, mm -hmm. yeah, the other there's ones are probably like, ways around it. Liable. But this is not an episode of Law and Order. This is. No, they wouldn't uh, do this in Law and Order either, because otherwise there would be no episode. That's true. Okay. So Harry says if he found out some things about him, he's going to try to get him to see reason. And the, the Maya and Max don't believe that that's possible, but he's. it says it's worth a try. It's Otherwise, it's months of legal conflict, of which is a risk. So he goes and talks to uh, Trip Gregory. All right, chapter 13. And Lapland is watching Gregory leave and giving him a look full of more venom than a Cobra convention. Right. So when Harry goes up to talk to Trip, he gets uh, hesitant. It's like he's kind of like waiting on one foot as if he's going to try to continue walking or turn away. And Harry's laying out to some things like he found out about St. Louis and what's the big up to. And uh, well, you've made it my problem, so it matters to me. And would you just stop it? She's got the money hidden somewhere. Horrors always hide money. Let's see. Because he doesn't get the subsistence business model. Once he owns all of them franchises, he's going to sell them. But no one wants it. No one wants the, the, um, the these places that are not making any real profit. Um, so they, they were connected. So if she would have to, if she quit, should she still be leaving them at risk? I don't know. I really don't get any of this. I'm not sure how her business is structured, nor am I really that well versed in American business infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, when I've briefly tried to look at it for reasons, it is very confusing and uh, it gives me headaches. All right. But if you didn't get the point that Chip Gregory is a bad guy, he says, you think they're really just doing it for the kids? Fuck you, idiot. There ain't people like that. Everyone in it is in it for the money. It gives a fuck about kids. Okay. And Harry makes an offer that he hates, but drop the case and Harry will go talk to the suppliers in St. Louis on his behalf. And that tell them that Gregory is under Dresden's protection. Huh? And uh, Gregory just kind of laughs in his face again. It's like, oh, that's rich. You can't even tough guy me, and you think you're going to do it to those fucks in St. Louis. 
And they were probably there's a good there's a chance they have some sort of supernatural connection, right? There's a chance. And they, um, they ask you, well, "Who's this Harry dressed?" And someone comes back, "Oh no, 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 no! Don't uh, don't go there." Right. And so, like, the offer being made is actually something that could be good, but um, Gregory is an idiot, doesn't understand anything that he's seen, and is incapable of understanding the the depth of what that means. Right. But Harry kind of notices that Gregory is shifting his eyes between Harry and the Monster Mobile and doesn't want to get anything closer to it because he had someone wire the car when they were inside talking to the lawyers and rigging it to explode. Which is always a measured response. Yeah, what's the point of it? Like, just to get him out of the way because he's helping the woman? I mean, like... It has gotten more troublesome for him since he got involved, so maybe it's just like, yeah. Hmm. But he has the super lawyer. I don't know. It's weird. Well, didn't we just establish every single time we say something that he's an idiot? So Yeah. Yes, yes. But holy shit, the inefficiency. Marcone should have killed him years ago. Hmm. But loyal. But I mean, you gotta wonder he, at what point would loyal will the loyalty be outweighed by the inefficiency? Yeah, at some point I think that would happen, and it's just like you can loyally be locked in a room and do nothing, or you can be inefficiently murdered. Hmm. Harry offers to give him a, a ride back to his car, like and otherwise, if if Trip didn't wire the monster mobile to explode, then he should be safe getting into the car, right? But Fuck you, no, go away. I mean, to be fair, it's, you don't really want to take a ride with Harry when he's been threatening you the whole time anyway. Yes, but that's not his reasoning. And no. he uh, eventually admits, okay, okay, paid a guy. He doesn't want to get any closer to the car. And Harry's pissed off because this is a public street. Do you have any idea how much attention a car bomb will attract here? How many people it could hurt? And what was the man using as the trigger? How the hell should I know? Because he's an idiot. And some of those details matter, but... Not to him. Because if he's using a cell phone, uh, Justin has issues with cell phones and technology, and now he needs to not freak out or be panicked or overly angry because he doesn't want to have the Murphyonic field happen. Mm-hmm. Murphy. But, Trigger flashback here. Yeah, right. Lips turning blue? That would have been hilarious. Because my Murphyonic field. <gasps> Murphy. I actually probably would have closed the audiobook and walked away for a few minutes if that had happened here. Just because you hate her. No, because that would have been absurd. <laughs> well, it doesn't make better that I made the joke reference instead of him. No, I'm I'm happy with all the references to her in this book because it's all about her dying, so that works for me. And hopefully someday soon we'll get the same with Butters and then I can just Retired. I don't know. Butters is going to be part of the new council Harry's making in Chicago. Yeah, I know. The White Knight Council. Him, Michael, Harry. No, Michael's Butters. not going to make it. The White Knight Council. Mm-mm. Where's Sonia? He's not, he doesn't live in Chicago. Sonia's not going to make it either, unfortunately. Fucking Butters will be around to the end, but the best person in the whole series is going to get the axe. Sonia's going to make it? He's not. He will. Miss Sonia. I want him to, but he won't. All right. 
So Harry pulls off the explosive from the car, and it does look like it was going to be uh, started by a cell phone. All right. But as he's about to threaten Trip Gregory again, of you don't know when to stop because he's an idiot, uh, Trip isn't even staring at Dresden. He's staring at uh, the big scary bear that's down the alleyway and then probably talking mm. about the JBs again. Right. It's See, it's very big. There's like it's faintly outlined, kind of translucent, and it's wearing a gigantic skull. And it is the skull from the bookshelf in the office, and it is focused entirely on Gregory. Dun, and Harry dun, recognizes dun. it is an Otso, a spirit bear, corrupted servitor of a Lapland hag, and it is pissed off. And Chip just says, "Heebie jeebies, heebie jeebies, more heebie jeebies need to go lay down." But Harry can see it too, idiot. Okay. <sighs> It's, it's too bad Harry's such a good guy, right? I mean, just let it go, Harry. Just It was very much like, it would just solve your issues right there. Yeah, but he's not, not the kind of person he is. And he does have that moral well, quandary. Maybe he needs to evolve. I think most people will see it as devolve, but, you know. And Harry says, it's no way to live. Like, it, everything would be solved right there if he just lets Gregory get murdered. And then it would have to be dealt with, like, with, with Lapland and, and Verno and whatnot. But, no. He grabs him by the jacket and runs like, It's him. actually a perfect way to live, not to throw yourself in front of a spirit bear for somebody who you don't like. Don't That's like, a don't very go. good He's way to people. live. Right. It's the it's opposite of a bad way to live. I mean, I think they, they kind of tried to talk about it at the end of, like, he saved him from the Otso now, but he didn't save him from St. Louis later. They didn't examine it very much, and maybe they will later in a different story. Uh, I assume or it's a loose thing of, you know, the supernatural realm is his area versus just people being people. So. Right. I mean, realistically, what is he going to do against the St. Louis? Is he going to fight the St. Louis mob? Well, he was offering it. Well, and yeah, he was. Yes, he was offering it, but he was also offering it like essentially under a, the same kind of general aegis that Marcone has, which is supernatural in nature now at this point. Um, but I guess if if the St. Louis mob already is going after him and don't care about his connection to Marcone. They sure as shit aren't going to care about his connection to Harry, who they probably have no idea who he is, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not going to give a shit. The Otso is chasing them throughout the city and crashing into a bunch of cars and causing a lot of more damage, more damage on top of the already fucked up city. And Harry decides he needs space. Battle of Chicago left a lot of wreckage, and there's a lot of uh, broken down buildings that are kind of sort of in states of being repaired, but obviously the best one is Marcone's. And they could learn Harry, something from them. I'm hungry. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's your excuse. Yes. Oh. So. Harry keeps dragging Gregory through the, the city of like running through traffic, trying to get away from the Otso. And it's 
40-story building broken down, lots of broken concrete, shattered glass. And Trip then says, we shouldn't be here. We're trespassing. There's even a sign. Now he cares about legality. All right. And then he's just either repeating heebie-jeebies or this isn't happening. And Aerie's still trying to, to save him. All right. And at the point where he's able to throw the bomb at the Otso and also hopefully stay away from people's blast radius, he throws it and hexes it so it explodes and tries to shield away from them. I like that little, like, uh, little glimpse into post. Uh, Destruction Chicago. Uh, the whole, like, that's probably one of the most appealing parts about the book. Other than it's a fun little romp, but like the the world exposition is yeah. probably the, the, the best. I'm kind of skipping over a lot here because I think it would just slow us down too much. But the there was a several pages of description of exactly how broken these buildings are, how like the concrete and the glass and all of that. Um, in that they are running through. And like, this is the place where he's trying to show the aftermath of Battleground. And a lot of people were, were saying in their criticisms of the novella of like, it wasn't doing enough to show the brokenness of of Chicago, but there is this moment here that we've got at least to, to like the disarray and the literal brokenness. I mean, it probably could have been a little more like, I feel like the National Guard presence would have been quite a bit still. I mean, I remember around here after Sandy and what it looked like, and we were only like one. I'm my side of the neighborhood didn't even get flooded, but the one that did. I mean, they for months they had structures and like FEMA tents and all this shit, mm. and that was just a flood. Well, I say just a flood, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So, I mean, in general, I expect we're going to get a lot more of an in-depth look when twelve months comes. And it's going to have... Yeah, probably. Okay. Chapter 14. Harry and Trip are trying to get away from the explosion. And he is just kind of dizzy and following along with whatever Justin is doing. They get into the Monster Mobile. And they're about to be checked by a cop. But one of the cops says like he recognized Dresden and has the, the bean charm. The Knights of the Bean. And so he just lets Dresden go even though that the monster mobile should be probably looked at almost all the time because it is the cheesy monster mobile and it just came out of a, a bad area. And Harry is going to have to make a call. He doesn't want to make, but he is smart enough to make calls now. Calls ahead. Yeah. At the end of the book. I mean, he did do it to Marcone earlier, but let's see. Marcone and Guard showed up at precisely 11 o'clock that evening, and within half a minute, Talby Inferno and Miss Lapland also arrived at the warehouse on the waterfront, the same one that they had used in Proven Guilty and other places. And Gregory is just sitting on the floor in shock and muttering about heebie-jeebies. Right, Marcone and Inverno and Dresden are all going to discuss. And Lapland's cheeks colored brightly as she is still trying to be haughty and mean. Right. And Dresden says, thank you for coming because he's he knows how delicate this needs to be handled for him to be doing it correctly and has to thank these people that he hates. 
this is getting messier than it has to get for all of us. And here's what I know. He describes the whole thing of the, from beginning to end with the OXO. And so after Dresden's call, Marcone says, I checked with some contractors who have done some work for me. They confirmed that Mr. Gregory did commission a device. And the bear skull is indeed gone from Inverno's office. Uh, Lapland lost her temper at the treatment inflicted upon her by Gregory because everyone hates him except for apparently Marcone. That is a mark against Marcone. Well, I mean, Marcone may not like him. He's just loyal. So he's got to he stick to him. be on the side of hating Gregory and wanting to screw him over. Okay. Okay. Dresden says, both of you have had your people try to end my life in the past three hours, and this has become an accords matter. Uh, point of order, Marcone says, Gregory isn't a signatory, but he is a vassal of the Baron of Chicago by every definition and tradition. And if Marcone is going to hide on the fact of, like, it is loyalty that Gregory paid to Marcone and therefore he's going to protect him, well, then he has, gets to deal with the accords laws as well. Okay, Marcone agrees, withdraws the point. And he, Marcone admits he bears a measure of responsibility for his actions. Okay. Nameless son, is it your intention to throw down with me, Harry Dresden? No, it was Lapland that did it and not pointed at Dresden. But as Dresden says, that it was not very well guided. It was with reckless disregard. And Inverno is also one of Marcone's, and so this falls against Marcone. Well, Mar Inverno is working for the outfit, therefore, even though it is also Mab, and Mab shows up right on time and says that she also believes that Inverno is going to be partly to Marcone's responsibility. Kind of surprised Matt played along so well that I guess that actually she'd be really miffed that she, she was taking the time out of her day and just like, yeah, I didn't think you would actually back Harry up to be honest. That's how he has to, to kind of be delicate about it, but he did get her attention and she does owe him her attention. Uh, she's arriving in her aspect of judgment in all black. And she's still fragile from being kicked through a couple of walls and had the eye of Baylor put on her by the Titan. Not so much the kick through wall things. It was probably more the yeah. It was probably more the eye. The eye. I mean, the kick, she was shaky after the kick through the wall, but okay. Uh, let's see. Mab focuses on Marcone and says, controlling the excesses of your vassals is one of the duties of a freeholding lord. She's one to talk. Well, this is what she, she's doing it right now. <laughs> I was going to say, just, this is really only in recent years that this has become an issue. Well, no, that's not true because Maeve counts too. So Maeve does count, yeah. All right. Dresden was pursuing a personal matter, not in the business of the court, so this shouldn't involve Winter at all. He is assisting a mortal who requested his aid. This may be this is a, a matter best overlooked. De-escalation is a good idea. Mm. But Map agrees. I was like, why the fuck did Dresden summon Map to this? Why does this involve Mab? They yeah. both damaged the company car. The Monster Mobile. So flims like this is Unreal. This is beyond flimsy. This, this is, is so as flimsy. translucent as the bear was. <laughs> I 
love the monster mobile. I think it's it's great. It's just that she should be able to say, so get it fucking fixed. Like she provided the car. She is not providing the maintenance. He is responsible for his own tools. Smith who can fix it. Like I heard about him. Like yeah, yeah right. And, and he already has Mike on it. It's like so he is not just they broke my car, but it's like they broke my car and I'm fixing it, but you need to be angry at them to help me. <laughs> she is playing along. It's like it is the automobile that Mab had prepared for him, and it is damaged visibly that others may see. It is repairable, but yes, he was uh, not fit for visible winter night being for a few moments. Mm-hmm. And Mab a shame. <laughs> it's like, if it matters so much on the car, it's like, what is she going to like? Make him upgrade his wardrobe or something, or look intimidating in anything other than Star Wars t-shirts. She turns to Marcon and says, I too bear a measure of responsibility for the actions of my vassals, regardless of how moronic their choices might be. (laughs) Not so much. And this breach of protocol on your part in Verno complicates matters. Such incidents are likely to give mortals cause to raise their hands against us all, and they are paranoid about that after battlegrounds considering they wrecked the fucking city mm. just I am, yeah i am tempted to lock my vassals in ice for let us say a pair of decades and leave them conscious the while considering how old they are i wonder how long that would actually feel to them relatively but it's um it'll probably yes. feel like a couple of decades I was going to say that, yeah, if they're conscious the whole time, you're going to feel that fucking every single second of the day. Uh, I should have to take similar action with Mr. Gregory to balance you, Marcone says, and it would deprive me of the services of an excellent attorney. Yes, everyone would be hurt by all of this. And it would inconvenience mm-hmm. everyone. And yet the winter night and by extent in the winter court has a genuine grievance. And so even though that would be annoying, they'll be willing to do it. Harry has a suggestion on how to actually balance the scales. Of course he does. Mab's black eyes focuses on Harry, and he feels an icy quiver run through his guts, as he should. Explain. No, 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 you gotta do it like Jim. Explain. Explain. He says he couldn't do the accent, so he just whispered it. It's fine. (laughs) Um... The entire matter is about an imbalance of forces. None of us wants more fighting or attention. What is required... To resolve it is a rebalancing. Marcone is pressing too hard in the favor of Gregory and Inverno with all of the experts and all the, the legal issue. So Harry says he'll let the matter of the bomb drop in the incident with the Otso to have Gregory drop the case. And uh, Gregory says, but I stayed quiet for you. Which is just the one thing that Marcone will do it. Okay. But what if Gregory fights it out in court with no expenditure of mob money on experts, bullshit legal power moves, no putting pressure on the judge or anyone else involved? It is just Gregory and Inferno versus Maya and Max. And the legal system as it's meant to be. Right. Right. They let the mortal courts sort it out quietly, smoothly, purely on merits. None of the thumbs on scales. Flipping a coin would make more sense, Marcon mused. Yeah, but I'm thinking like that something like justice can still be found in the wild here and there. Leave me the illusion. Okay. 
Although, to be fair, they probably should have just flipped the coin. <laughs> More efficient. <laughs> get it done right then and there. Fuck it. So, but Mav asks about what has, what will Inverno be punished with, considering he has done the thing and gotten attacked, Dresden sort of, and with the car and the mustmobile so important. How does this action balance what has happened? If Inverno loses the trial, that will make it twice that Max has beaten him. Once is unlucky, but twice he's been beaten by a mere mortal. That loss of pride is satisfaction enough. And if he does not lose, well, then Dresden knows next time he'll have to play harder. And Mav asks Marcone if he will require Lapland's life as repayment for her attempted murder. And he says, no, fortunately, no one was killed. He's willing to take Inverno's word that appropriate discipline will be levied. Inverno accepts, and Lapland attempts briefly to defend herself and then gets shut up. Right, the matter will be settled before the mortal adjudicators with no influence or use of power from either side to disturb the process. Once it is settled, all parties will accept its outcome and the matter will be forever resolved. Everyone agrees. Then, this is my judgment. Anyone who defy it will suffer my intense displeasure. And then he just looks at Dress and says, school teachers, who gives a fuck? They're tutors. My queen. Cease finding new ways to waste my time. I can't wait for him to find ways to waste her time. No, because the next book, he's just going to be wasting all of Leah's time. But maps more fun. Hey, Leah, why are you just dismissing Leah like that? Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. You said Leah, and I thought Laura, because when I was trying to get him to say, when we spoke to, to Jim and James, that... Uh, Leah's going to be in the next book, right? Leah's going to be the very godmother trying to help him put it back together. He said no, mm -hmm. even though when he had previously spoken to us after uh, the Peace Talk Battleground came out, he said, yes, Leah can be the one to kick him back into shape. And I got so excited. I, I think she still will be because it's been a while for her. It has been a while. I, I would really like I think the no is more of an indicator that she's actually going to be a particularly helpful force. I mean, she will be in her own way, but. She may not be a therapist. She has to find some way how turning Harry into a dog will be relevant to the wedding. Listen, she did it. She finally got it out of her system. I think she's okay. Well, she did it once, at least. I mean, as long as Mouse okay, is there. She's okay. As long as Mouse is there to threaten to bite her ass off. Okay. May the Bex argument win. On a personal note, Inverno says, I had no knowledge of what Miss Lapland did. I confess I do not understand humanity as well as I thought I did. Why did you not simply allow the Otso to fulfill its compulsion? It would have solved your problems. You fucking idiot. Mm -hmm. Right. Because morals, it, those things that Bob doesn't understand. Exactly. Like, Trip might be a sociopathic dick, but someone like her shouldn't be his judge and executioner. So a civil office holder should do that instead? It's like really splitting hairs in a way. It's like, I think maybe that the people should be the ones to decide about the people, not all us knights and lords and high and mighty types. And Inverno accepts it, just like, okay, you moron. <laughs> right. Trip says, you saved my life, Dresden. Yeah, it's like, well, don't think I'm going to fucking pay you for it. I'm getting my money. Because some people will never learn. Like, he should talk. And as Gregory's trying to get a, a ride out of the warehouse, Gary saved your life. Walk your own asshole. 
Okay. Chapter 15, with a good little fortune and without a bunch of fancy legal maneuvers, the case took a couple of months to go through, and Maya wins. That is actually, like, extremely fast for a court case to go through. Yeah, especially and, with all the stuff that's probably going on in Chicago right now. Yeah, like, that. that is supernaturally fast for something to happen in a court. Maya wins, and she's overjoyed, and she's thanking everyone. Eloise says to tell you she's sending over fresh eggs and homegrown tomatoes for your franchise meeting, and I'd be surprised if she didn't include cookies. And they mentioned that Dresden isn't as beat up as he was before because he's healed in two months, and the judge saw the right of it. Oh, that's so good. Max is a miracle worker. Actually, she might be saying that to Dresden, but I want him to say that to Max because it's probably based on the Princess Bride, Max Miracle. Hmm. The cars are already waiting for Trip Gregory as he leaves the courthouse. Two men close in and uh, just behind him, Blackheart pulls up on the street, slow down whole traffic for a moment, and he gets shoved into a car with Missouri plates, very terrified. And Max asks, are you going to do anything? No. Because now he's wising up, I guess. Is it because also, he deserves? If they were smart. They would have. They would have rented a car with Chicago plates. Yeah. I guess Harry also feels differently about, like, some someone mortal doing and and someone supernatural. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, that's it, like what I said before. <laughs> the supernatural is where he can stick his foot in. But yeah, because because other than that difference, there really isn't. And there's no meaningful difference between. Him slapping this chick on the ass and being obnoxious and, and, and her having the power to do something about it. And then these guys that he's wrong with money. Like, it's both consequences of his own actions. The mm -hmm. difference is just supernatural and not supernatural. Yeah. So I, that must be that. Yeah. And Harry's not helping in. Ass, ass, uh, hell, it, should he deserve it? And Harry says, hell if I know, but he certainly worked hard as hell for it. And... Max has arranged a payment schedule with Maya. The Sunflower is going to receive a regular anonymous donation to their underprivileged tutoring program in the exact same amount. And hey, do you guys like pizza? Because they use the croissant crust for the mix. It's just, eh, I, don't, I don't think that's going to work. Stop okay. it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Part three. We finished it. We got through a novella. A three and a half hour Novella we have talked about in like four hours. Okay, so that's on. That's on you, gotta pet the, you gotta pet the content, so you know. Yeah, really. Otherwise, the people get antsy. Yeah. Because no, now we do. got nothing to do for two weeks. We're <laughs> 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 gonna have to actually think of some shit uh, again. Don't remind me. Fuck. I'm just excited for Gideon next week. Eh. Okay. That's that's a you problem. Well, it's gonna be a you problem too. No, I could always not show up again. Because <laughs> I have even less knowledge of this than I do of The Witcher. I actually at least watch The Witcher. Yeah, but you're I can, read the book. I will give you the book if you read it. Okay, but I won't. <laughs> you know I won't. You should. It's so much fun. Uh -huh. the, the fewer idiots. Well, no, there's one giant idiot in a room full of really smart people, but it's fun. Well, do we have anything else to plug? Um, um, Patreon. 
but uh, we shouldn't yeah. do that at the end, right? So, uh, but yeah, well, you, we didn't do it at the beginning, so. I forgot, yes. okay? I made the thumbnail. Someone else doesn't work. All right, so pay us money on Patreon, and you can come talk to us on Discord, and we're pretty much going to be the same, just in text form. Yeah. Ooh. And, uh, yeah. I have lots of dumb references and insult you to your face. But we'll do it with GIFs. Yes, GIFs are an and improvement. And that's dynamic. The, the true art form of communication is just communicating in GIFs. Yeah. <laughs>